Hello, I'm Taylor Romans. And I'm Matthew Burrett. And this is Hard Beeswax, Experiences in Waldorf Education. Welcome to episode two of Hard Beeswax, where I interview Matthew about his Waldorf origins. We realize that we are just two individuals who are part of this global educational movement. And we want to be very clear that we are only speaking from our own experiences and from our own impressions. We do not presume to speak for the Waldorf movement as a whole. In order for us to and for those listening along with us to get a sense for kind of how we got here, we thought that for this episode, maybe hearing from Matthew and myself about our own Waldorf journeys, especially as, you know, looking at it more broadly as to how did those early experiences, impressions lead to where we are today, right? Yeah. And, um, and so first I will be talking to Matthew about his Waldorf <laughs> journey. So Matthew, when did you first step onto a Waldorf campus? Yeah, the year was 1985. Uh, my mother had first, well, my family was living in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and my mother had heard about Waldorf education through from her sister, my aunt. And the first Waldorf school I visited was actually the Kimberton Waldorf School in Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania. And um, I had a visit and I didn't actually feel a connection to that Waldorf school. Um, I didn't actually meet too many people and I, it, it didn't connect to me. And then my mother uh, found out about the Green Meadow Waldorf School in Spring Valley, New York. And um, so we went up to a visit there. And the first experience I had was walking into the first grade. I, I did not go to Waldorf kindergarten. And we can talk about that later. <laughs> uh, I, my sister t- claims that I'm not the real Waldorf student in our families, that she is because she did the, the, the kindergarten years. Um, but I, uh, so I walked into the first grade classroom and my teacher, John Metric was there and I made an immediate connection to him. And it was clear that this was where I needed to be and wanted to be. And so that's how I started. So what, if you were to kind of to look back and, and think about a sense impression, like what, what were the things you remember from your first experiences of being in a Waldorf classroom? Yeah, it was definitely color, a very warm, kind of rosy, warm reddish um, color, wooden, wooden um, (laughs) Wooden surroundings. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff made out of wood, Um, different angles, different shapes. I'm always a very visual person. And so it was very clear that the buildings were just a little bit different and took a while to understand that what that was about. Um, But it definitely felt organic in a way that Mm -hmm. doesn't really strike you for most buildings. And, um, and then for me, it was really the warmth of the people and especially my, my grade, my, my grade school teacher. Um, it was a home away from home. And, um, yeah, so my, yeah, I just, 
you know, things were like the right size too. Yeah. You know, there was yeah. like painting boards and painting racks and everything just kind of fit the small person. Every, everything was kind of designed for the small person in mind. Yeah. And then, the, you know, growing up and then looking back, it was like, wow, those toilets are really small. Oh, that that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. water fountain is like really low to the ground, you know? And it was like, oh, yeah. But when I was in first grade, it was like, oh, this fits me perfectly. Totally. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was the strongest impression. Okay. And so you had been maybe in a, in a public school, right? Yeah. For kindergarten? Yes, I was. So when your mother went through this transition of kind of coming into a Waldorf school becoming a Waldorf parent, did you see a parallel transition in your home and the things that surrounded you in your home? Yeah. So, um, so my family w- went through a, um, a divorce. So my, my parents divorced and then, um, we moved to, to the Spring Valley uh, Chestnut Ridge area and, uh, and I attended a Waldorf school. And so there's a couple of things in my family life that, um, my sister had, um, had meningitis and, and she became profoundly deaf. And, um, and then, so there was uh, that, and there's a whole story of her going through the Waldorf school. She'd actually be an interesting guest, I think. Totally. One day. Write it um, down. How, how she, um, was hearing impaired and went through the Waldorf school. Um, but then she, received a cochlear implant. So actually she was learning to hear again. And now, nowadays people think she's European because they don't actually really, really recognize that she's deaf. Um, but anyway, my, so my family was going through a, a, a transition. My, it was really hard because my, my family, my parents were divorcing and my sister was needing a lot of attention and, and I felt a little bit adrift. And so when when, you know, I found the Walder school, it was, it was, as I said, it was like a home away from home. And, and also in response to that, my mother would always send me outside. You know, I was, she'd send me out into the woods after school, as long as I changed out of my school clothes and <laughs> put on play clothes, I was able to, you know, live in a community that was r- really rich and quite large. So I, in the, so the, the anthroposophical community along Hungry Hollow Road consists of the Green Meadow Waldorf School, the Threefold Educational Foundation, also called Sunbridge, um, Sunbridge Institute or Sunbridge College. I forget. I think there was Sunbridge Institute. Anyway, let me. So the Anthroposophical, this is so hard to redo this. The Anthroposophical community along Hungry okay, Hollow Okay, hang Road. on. Time out. Okay. <laughs> you're overthinking it. Just, just okay. like, you're doing fine. And if you don't know the name, then you don't know the, the name. name. Okay. So I, yeah, just like. The okay. way you, yeah. So the anthroposophical community in Chestnut Ridge, New York, along Hungry Hollow Road, consists of the Threefold Educational Foundation. On that land is Green Meadow Waldorf School, the Eurythmy Spring Valley, which is a Eurythmy training center for blossoming Eurythmists. <laughs> There's a... Um, uh, Pfeiffer Gardens. It's a biodynamic research garden, and further along the road is the is the fellowship community, and the fellowship community is uh, a retirement home uh, for anyone who is you know towards the end of their life. And my family uh, joined the th- the fellowship community as 
like members. So mm. we were, my mom was a coworker at the at the fellowship community, and as a benefit, you know, the coworkers, um, the members, families, you know, the children could go to Green Meadow for free. So that's how we ended up there. So then. What was the living situation life? Did you like? Did you have a, a small home or an apartment that was a part of that community? In the fellowship community, there were mixed family buildings, so okay. mixed mixed homes. So I, I had a small apartment, and that was next to other apartments with other f- coworker families and also mm-hmm. residents. You know, so it it was. I mean, I had, we had our own place, but it was shared. You know, everything was shared. And meals were in a big dining hall. Um, they were biodynamic, you know, food and vegetables. Um, you know, it was biodynamic food that the fellowship community grew wow. itself. So we had part of my job after school would be to farm in different fields and weed and you know, do a lot of different tasks, um, help prepare food, you know, that came in. Um, it was uh, technically illegal, I guess, but it was, um, you know, to prepare our own food, you know, there was a lot of, um, vacuum sealing vegetables and bags and preserving, preserving and canning and cooking. And, um, as a six year old, I wasn't really required to do too much labor, but, um, you know, any day you could be doing um, elder care, you know, changing sheets, taking care of members. You could be out in the fields. You could be um, doing repairs. You know, whatever your skill set was, there was a, a metalworking shop, a print, a, a candle making shop, a, a, a press. So different members around the community had different jobs. And it was all, um, yeah part of this effort to bring Rudolf Steiner's ideas of social threefolding uh, alive in, in, a, in a community. That's incredible. And so there, there were other children there who lived in this community. And were you working alongside them, playing alongside them? What was that culture like for yeah, you? Yeah. So I, it felt, I mean, I moved from Eastern Pennsylvania to just North of New York City um, but it actually felt like I was going to into a more rural community. I remember very clearly I was teased when, when when I first arrived because I didn't know how to jump off this towering stack of hay bales. <laughs> and so uh, my mom and I practiced me jumping oh, off these hay bales so enough <laughs> times so that when the the farm kids, you know, my 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 friends, my actually my classmates, uh, turned out to be my classmates when when they finally were like, "Oh, are you going to jump off this?" And I said, "Yeah, I can jump off it." And I and, you know, and then I. I earned my stripes, if you will. And so, yeah, I, there was a lot of kids. And my the school was a mile down the, the road. So I would walk to school starting in first grade. Um, and I would walk with all these older kids. So I, I learned how to walk real quick because I had <laughs> such a small stride. I was like running to school. And, and well, the high school schoolers were just walking. But um, eventually I ride my bike. And so it was about, I think there's about close to 200 acres. Um, wow. So there was woodlands and ponds and two streams and mountains and, um, you know, soccer fields and, you know, just magical kind of low car density, you know, natural settings. And um, I I lived in the fellowship community for um, about two and a half years. And then we moved to a different part of the community because my stepfather 
became a buildings and grounds, a maintenance mm. person for the school. So we also had, you know, like school housing, um, which was right next to the soccer field and some streams and stuff. So I would spend a lot of my time outside cleaning up the streams, pulling tires out of the streams and stuff like that. So, you know, walking to and from school, I would walk past the Eurythmy um, building, yeah. the, 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 the training, you know, and I would see the Eurythmists as co- going to and from, you know, their classes. And I saw at the Threefold Educational Foundation, it was oftentimes conferences there, or, you know, they dif- they also had teacher training um, classes there. So young, you know, teachers getting their learning, their, you know, getting their training, um, you know, I would see, you know, their paintings and in, in in the window or their sculptures or going to class or yeah so you were really steeped in it it was just all around and and i actually lived in the in the threefold community before they built the the student dormitory called holder house so it used to have we used to be deep in the forest and then during my time there they actually built the 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 dormitory the housing for the for the waldorf teacher trainees and so I remember running all through the construction site and doing all kinds of mischievous things. <laughs> through, I mean, that was kind of the culture too. We, the, with thirty kids that we played with, we would have all kinds of games and all kinds of kind of pranks and, and stuff like that. Amazing. It really was a huge community that was, you know, for my. Um, six-year-old self was, you know, perfect. I just, I just loved that. My mom was always pushing me to be outside. That really shaped a lot of the work I did later in my life. Um, and so, so yeah, I grew up with a lot of different impulses and a lot of people working out of anthroposophy in different areas, mm-hmm. education, arts, um, gardening, farming, mm-hmm. um, elder care, you know, biography work, end-of-life care, stuff like that. So you talk about being in this greater anthroposophical community where the Waldorf school itself was only one component of that. Yeah. And a huge part of the experience of being in specifically a Waldorf community around a school is the festival life. What was your favorite festival and what are your memories of that festival? Yeah, so I, I think for me, the most important festival is Michaelmas. It is so deep for me for this moment of consciousness and clarity that comes in the fall. Um, although I must say, I, I, you know, the, the shepherd's play, <laughs> you know, I, I think I watched it two, two times every year, the once in school and once for the community performance and then as a teacher, I, I've, I've acted in the Shepherd's Play almost every year <laughs> and done it at least twice. So I, I've probably done the Shepherd's Play, you know, something like 40, 50 times. <laughs> or I mean, I've either seen it or acted yeah, in it yeah, for yeah. so many times. And so that that's the other festival that just kind of lives within me because I have everything memorized. I, I know all the shepherd. I've, I've usually have been a shepherd, so I have mo- all the shepherd's parts memorized and all the songs. And so between that and Michaelmas, I would say those, those are the two. Yeah. Amazing. So when you look at, you know, the eight grades, so much of what, you know, what students remember. And again, I always have to remember my impression of my Waldorf education as a student versus now. Yeah the way I remember things differently because, oh, that well-timed block with me developmentally, right? I have this adult 
you know, perception. Right. But so much a part of the Waldorf experience is the class and the fact that the class sizes are typically small and you're traveling through with one class teacher. What was the spirit of your class like? Did you have a kind of a steady group through all eight grades? Was there a lot of coming and going? What was Yeah. What was your class's rep on the campus, right? Ooh, we were we were probably a bunch of rapscallions, but honestly, it might have not been as much as your class of rapscallions, <laughs> as I've heard. But we'll get into that. But we were we started with 33 in okay. first grade, which yeah. was huge. It was the largest class uh, for Green Meadow at that time, I believe. And um, and so our so our teacher was. Um, John Metric, he was trained. He he really held the class well. He, his specialty was telling Native American stories. So mm. he had, we, we did like some of the traditional stories, but he also introduced some of like the Native American stories in third and fourth grade um, in terms of hearing the song of Hiawatha and some of the other. So trying to move away from a strictly Eurocentric focus. He was one of the first teachers with my adult hat on that was trying to, to understand what under under, what was some of the underlying, um, ideas from some of the stories and then finding more North American stories that could fit the same, you know, mold. But that's kind of ahead of your question. Our class as a whole was so wild and hard to hold that we were, I felt we were often asked to be older than we were. We Mm -hmm. were asked to go to go into the middle school earlier. Oh, interesting. We were asked to split. So the German and and French teachers couldn't hold the whole class. Yeah. So and we were so big that they asked us to split so that, you know, people could actually be in the class they wanted to be in and not cause trouble for them. Yeah, yeah. Um and then the other characteristic of our class was we so I was the class of 97, 1997 and we had a quite a large proportion of faculty children, mm-hmm. so it it was really a class. Um, we were tight knit. There there was people who came and left, but we there was a solid, uh, you know, probably twelve to fifteen solid um, people who who moved together throughout the grades. And so I just have a lot of connections and a lot of faculty kids in my in my class growing up and. So it was often interesting from a child's perspective to, you know, see your teachers and then see them outside of school yep, yep. And, and then doing the birthday party. Where routines. you know what's in their pantry. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I felt like I was a little bit on the inside already. Yeah. Uh, um, my, my stepfather eventually became the buildings and grounds supervisor at the school. So there was also another connection there. Um, and, but yeah, but our reputation was kind of, rambunctious, but a lot of energy. And Mm -hmm. we tended to give energy as a teacher. It was a class that gave energy rather than sucked energy. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, yeah. And we were pretty big for our britches, I would say. (laughs) Definitely. So talking about that, what did, what did you do on the playground? What, when you had recess, when you went outside, where could Matthew be found? Yeah, I was usually playing the games of, um, you know, tag or roundup or, you know, just running around the, the, the schoolyard. I, um, it's just starting to rain right now. I know. I wonder if, okay, oh, sorry. Um, okay, sorry. So I was running around the playground. I 
I actually, I think I tended, me personally, I tended to have a very rough exterior because I was, I think I tended to be antisocial mm-hmm. and I would uh, tend to be mean. Yeah. But I was actually really nice. <laughs> so people who got to know me usually said, you know, I usually got the comment like, well, you're so nice at home, but you're so mean at school. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I took that. It took me a long time to understand that I probably was just feeling very vulnerable. Totally. Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you were in a Waldorf community that had a Waldorf high school. Yes. So when you got to the end of the eight, you know, the eighth grade year, was there ever any conversation about going somewhere else, about leaving Waldorf? Or was it kind of an unspoken inevitability that you would carry on? Yeah, it was a... My family expected me to go on. Um, my school had a strong international study program. My stepfather is German. And uh, so it was expected of me to go on international study in 10th grade. And um, not to, to actually do a longer term. I mean, most international studies uh, were three months mm-hmm. or so, my family sent me for seven months. Wow. So I went from January to June and then the summer. And um, so that really allowed me the freedom that I was seeking. And it made it, it allowed me to have a high school experience that felt like I chose it. Because mm, yeah. the moment I grew up and I was really pushing the boundaries at 15, you know, I was put on a plane by myself, you know, and said, go to Germany. And so my, my rebellion became this, you know, exploring Germany at 15, 16. And what that allowed me to do was to come back in junior and senior years. And really, you know, I, I had kind of explored, I had experimented mm-hmm. and the 16 was the drinking age. So yeah, it yeah, was yeah. still legal. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, so I came back and was really focused on what was next. And I, I got a job Yeah. and I, I kind of just had everything lined up and I knew I was out and I was preparing everything. So I, I really wasn't rebelling against my school or rebelling against my parents. They had or- orchestrated it that I was basically that, the, that energy went into being on my own. Yeah, the second you wanted to break down the walls, they were gone anyway, right? right? Exactly. And it was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? And, <laughs> you know, and um, yeah. And it's, that's really nice. I think it's a very valuable experience to witness life in a different school, mm-hmm. particularly a Walder school if you can manage it. Yeah. Because in Germany, my exchange school was triple tracked. There was a thousand students. Wow. And I, you know, my high school was a hundred. So mm-hmm. it was an order of magnitude bigger. Yes. And we had school six days a week, but only till maybe till lunch, mm-hmm. if, if even that. And so... So there was a lot of time to be there and time. explore. Yeah, yeah. So what, you know, when you look at a high school community, what, what did you gravitate toward? You know, Waldorf students are in the younger years kind of required to be involved in all of these things. It's a well-rounded, all-required curriculum. And many, in many ways that carries over into high school. But in high school, I think you see people beginning to specialize or beginning to hone them, their energy toward one particular thing. What, yeah. Where did you fit into that tapestry in high school? Well, it's really interesting because I would characterize myself as a student 
always being totally thrilled with whatever the main lesson was. Yeah. So in the grade school, you know, we'd hear the stories of, you know, the rise and fall of Rome or the Renaissance or, you know, in botany. And, and I, I remember that continuing in high school. And I remember like coming home and almost every month, every block saying, oh, I really want to be a meteorologist. Yeah. And then the next <laughs> was like, oh, I really like Shakespeare or Hamlet mm-hmm. or, oh, we were reading Parsifal or we're doing, you know, physics or math or whatever the topic was. I could always, I remember, especially in high school, especially in ninth grade and 10th grade being like, wow, trying to see myself like being a researcher or mm-hmm. being an author or being, you know, in that role, whatever we were learning about. And I, so for me, I, I tended to gravitate towards everything but the life sciences. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just did not want to be a doctor for some reason. And uh, it was like the only class I was like, I really don't care about this. Um, sorry, Mr. Henderson. But like, it just was like, I, I, anyway. So, so I, I found myself more interested in the social sciences and in science mm-hmm. and math. Those were the three I really liked. Um, I liked English too, but there was always like never a definite answer for anything. It yep. was always like what you felt like. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> so too subjective, I guess. So the, the sciences, the social sciences, math, that's what I, and I, I had some teachers who really pushed my thinking. I, I mentioned Stephen Adelglass. He just, just a really, you know, like, how do you know what you know kind of questions? Yeah. Like these deep, yeah. deep questions. And I, um, I remember being really pushed by him. And um, so I, I came out of my Waldorf experience not knowing what I wanted. I thought I wanted to be an architect at first, and that was what my senior project was about. Oh, yeah. Go, go into that. Go into your senior project. Oh, boy. So it's like, a, it's like an ode to my <laughs> arrogance, really. Uh, I, just, I, just, I kind of cringe now when I think back about my senior project. I was just so... Um, you took yourself very seriously. I took myself way too seriously. <laughs> and I was even mocked in the, in the end you of the year. You got roasted? I got roasted. Because <laughs> uh, anyway, I'll tell the story. So I, I thought I wanted to be an architect. My uncle is an architect. And so he was teaching me how to draw blueprints and how to you know, visualize in a three-dimensional space into two dimensions. And you know, initially when I started, I was a little bit stuck. And, you know, so my uncle was saying, you know, you're not really designing a house for construction. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you are try to be as free from the reality of the house as possible. And you're just, you know, you're designing something. So, you know, don't make money an issue. Don't make, don't make physics an issue. Like you can put. You can do whatever you want. If your house is on stilts, it can be on two stilts, you know, or whatever. Like, just, it's more of a design thing than, a, than an actual, you know, blueprint, you know, mechanical, technical drawing um, endeavor. So I said, okay. And, and then he also pushed me to say, like, well, it, it might not be a living room. Like, you can rename it for its purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. The being like, room. Right, exactly. So I actually went there. And I was like, okay, my living room, I'm going to call it the area of being, you know. 
And then the, the study is like the area of knowledge. Oh, Matthew. The, oh, oh Matthew. I went hook, line, and sinker <laughs> into that. So every, you know, so I was referring to these spaces in my house as like these different areas. So like the bathroom was the area of self-awareness. And <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's really cringeworthy. Um, so, um, you know, the area of nourishment and mm-hmm. so on and yeah, so yeah, forth. Yeah. So, um, and I had all these design elements. So I had a octagonal living room and eight rooms around that. And then somehow a glass spherical dome fit on the octagonal living room. As it does. As it always does. And then the, the doors had a post in the middle of them and they were color coded in certain ways. And um, you put a lot of thought into it. I put in almost a year's worth of thought into this. And I, I had like figured out how many steps I could jump because in Greek temples, like the front door of a Greek temple has these massive, like eight foot steps yeah, in them. Yeah. Like, so that's because where the gods walk up. Of course. And, and then everybody So you else, were a god. So, so I, had, I had calculated how many steps I could jump, <laughs> you know, and those were the height of those steps that only I could get into the, to the, you know, the central space. And then everybody else had to walk through around the other, you know, around the side. So, yeah, so that was my, so I designed my dream house. That was my senior project and I built a four foot by four foot model of it and then I tried to explain that to everybody and I just man it was super egotistical um and I just realized like oh that is kind of the gesture of a teenager like super self-aware and super self-important and then seniors have it all figured out they have it all figured out they know they know they totally do Uh, okay, so senior project, right? And a lot of times the senior project is seen as kind of this, people approach it different ways, right? Some people approach it as a, I'm going to dip my toe into something that I'm curious about doing down the line. Right. Other people throw all of that out and just dive into a topic they're curious about. Other people see it as a chance to learn something new, right? So. Yeah. You mentioned that you kind of had this swirling idea of potentially being an architect, but when it actually came down to, in your senior year, planning what was next, where was your head at? What was the guidance you were getting? How were you, how were you thinking about leaving behind something that in so many ways was a safe family, very, you know, nurturing, and very nurturing, yeah, right? Exactly. What was, where was your head at as a senior when you were approaching that? So I... I kind of, I took a gamble and, and this was also from advice from my uncle who said, if I had any doubt about being an architect, it's probably not the thing to go into Hmm, Yeah, because it's really specialized and you spend all your time learning about that. And, and I took that piece of advice and I said to myself, "I, I think I really want to study multiple things. I'm not sure if I'm ready to focus on one thing. And that led me to going to liberal arts school. And if I was going to go to liberal arts school, I was going to go to the most liberal arts school of liberal arts schools, which um, I found to be St. John's College, the Great Books Program. They also happened to come and speak to my school in person Mm -hmm. and give a presentation. And at first I was like, oh, Annapolis, Maryland, okay, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then they said, oh, we have a campus in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And boom, right away that uh, sparked my interest. And so I really... Um, wanted to study a lot of different things. The f- shadow side of that is you could say I couldn't make up my mind. Yeah. I couldn't focus on, on one thing. So I decided to go to St. John's College in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and to study the Great Books program. And I really found a, 
a connection and a congruence between the Great Books program and my years of Waldorf education. I, if you look at grades one through eight as kind of one cycle through the Western tradition, the Western canon, through mm-hmm. stories, and then high school as kind of a recapitulation of that, yeah. but more analytically, kind of analyzing what happened. Then for me, the, the third time you know, reading the great books program was the third time through that cycle, but reading the texts yeah. from the, at, at each of those moments. And so I felt like I kind of delayed that decision yeah. for another four yeah, years. Yeah. And I, I, I dove back into the evolution of human consciousness through the great books. Um, and then it was really at the end of college where I kind of had my moment of, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? What does it all mean? Yeah. Um, but I really, I really like that progression from my Waldorf school to, to St. John's. It, it was a natural fit. And did you feel, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this without it being too much of a leading question, right? You know, there's so much of um, what's done in a Waldorf school as far as the academic expectations. I feel like most Waldorf high schools by this point are very much conscious of the fact that they are preparing students for a college education, right? And did that, was that consistent to your experience of transitioning from high school at a Waldorf school to college? What was the biggest challenge for you in that transition? Was it academic? Was it social? Was it community? What, what were, if there was kind of one thing that emerged as the primary challenge for you in that transition, what would it be? You know, it, I wouldn't say it was community. It wasn't social per se, although as with most Waldorf schools, uh, Waldorf alums, there is a challenge to, to describe what, what we went through, right? Mm-hmm. So what is your rhythm? What did I do? What does anthroposophy mean? You went to a Waldorf school. Is that like the salad? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is it connected to the, the hotel? <laughs> you know, like all those general questions I dealt with. Um, and I think for the most part, people didn't think of me as being different, right? So yeah, I, I kind okay. of fit in like, oh, I could have gone to a public school or a private school. Nobody really knew, but... You were another Johnny. Yeah, I, I became <laughs> another Johnny. And um, and I think my Waldorf, you know, like I felt prepared for high school, for college from high school. Um, it is a different set of expectations. The papers were longer and, you know, I mean, like all the typical things I think that happen from high school to college, I think there's just a, a level of professionalism that is expected of you. Yeah. Um, although, you know, when, when people got to know me and started to talk about, you know, I actually had, so I graduated with 18 other students. Mm-hmm. I was one of 18 and, and actually from high school or college. I'm sorry, from, from high school. Okay. And two of us went to St. John's. Okay. So out of 18 of us, two of us went to St. John's and, um, you know, it was very clear people didn't actually understand that we were classmates for the longest time. Mm. And I think it really has to do with how I interacted with people. I was on the search and rescue team. I was on the board of the search and rescue team. I, I kind of tried to really fit in and speak everybody's language and not try. I tried to fit in instead of having the world try to fit around me. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, so people were often surprised to hear that I went to the same school and was in the same class as, as my classmate who went to St. John's, who was a totally different individual. And totally. I think 
for him, and he can speak for himself maybe one day here, um, but he kind of saw that the world needed to fit around him, I would characterize it. And so people looked at him and said, wow, you're different. You know, what, yeah. how are, you know, what, where did you, you know, what happened? And, or not what happened, but where did you, you know, who are you and where did you come from? And mm-hmm. then when people understood that he and I were classmates for 12 years, there would often be like a confusion. Like, well, what is this school? Like, that perhaps you, there was the expectation that yeah, we if so you were different. cut from the same cloth, yeah. there would be these very, very specific similarities. Exactly. Yeah. And yet that's the beauty of Waldorf education. I think it, it more, it intensified who we were as individuals yeah. rather than... Potentized. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And rather than saying like, well, we're all, you know, we're all from this school and you're yeah, all from... Yeah. So, yeah, that was really the beauty, I think, was just this... this these two individualities in the same college program, just being there free to be themselves, you know, and we were, you know, so I, yeah. Nice. So you went to St. John's, you come to the end and you have the, oh no, now I have to do the next thing, right? the sun keeps rising in the morning and right. I can no longer go to college. So you're in Santa Fe and what, what happened next? Well, um, so what happened next was I was questioned by my grandfather and he, he really wanted an answer. <laughs> you know, what am I going to be at 22 years old? And I, you know, I think I, I kind of just pulled it out of the hat and I said, oh, I, I want to do international development work. And mm-hmm. I had no idea what international development yeah. work was. And, and, you know, you know, and so my grandfather was like, oh, like leading up to be an ambassador. And I was like, okay, an <laughs> sure. ambassador. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I, uh, my uncle, when another uncle was living in Washington, D.C., I moved to Washington, D.C. I thought I was going to take this State Department exam. Yeah. You know, I kind of was like, well, maybe, you know, I mean, I'd been international. To, I'd been to Germany, as I said, on uh, in, an international study. I traveled around. It sounded like fun and exciting. And um, I actually uh, ended up in a job at the USAID. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, you've done this all backwards. You if you really want to work in international development work, you need to go overseas and live yeah, overseas yeah. for a while. And I quickly found my way then into the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And I lived in West Africa for over two years. And, um, and yeah, so I found, I was an environmental education volunteer. And it was in, it was in the Peace Corps and working um, with adolescents that I really found my love of, of that age group, yeah. working with teenagers. And I really found that there's a lot of hope mm-hmm. with teenagers. You know, they haven't quite given up yet. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, so I just, I just love that. And I would plant tree nurseries and do all kinds of, of work um, in school gardens. And where I was in Guinea is is the watershed of West Africa. The major rivers all originate in Guinea, the, the Niger River, the Senegal River, the Gambia River. Um, so, so the impact of, of the different 
environmental impacts in Guinea had a regional, so I should say it differently. So in Guinea, because it's the watershed of West Africa, the, the local environmental impact had regional ramifications. ramifications. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. And so because of that, if, if we were doing reforestation efforts, it would really help. Um, at least that was the story I would tell myself. And um, so I learned to work with adolescents. I really loved, um, you know, being in, not, I was kind of an auxiliary teacher, um, but I would often work in the, in the grade school and in the high school level. And yeah, so um, when I, so I did that for, for two, two years and three months. And then I came back to the United States and I really didn't know what to do. And so I, I'll keep it a little bit, well, I'll tell the story, but I actually got to the point where I was, fell into a pretty deep depression and um, I didn't, I couldn't think my way out of what the next step was. Yeah. And I was living on a friend's uh, couch and, uh, and one night I basically, you know, I, I, well, I should ex explain it this way. I actually feel that we prepare ourselves and then the future comes towards us. So we're constantly, there's two actions happening. It's yeah. like what we do in our daily lives and then how, how we meet the future that is kind of prepared for us. And mm -hmm. I was finding when we, when I left Peace Corps and I was kind of revisiting the places in my life that I had been and really striking out, really yeah. not finding myself back in Washington, D.C., not finding myself in New York. Um, and so I, I gave, I, one night I said, okay, you know, it's not what I want. It's whatever the universe wants. And I, um, I said, okay, I'll say yes to whatever happens. Wow. <laughs> and, and so I actually went back to Green Meadow and I, I spent a day, two days, like walking around Green Meadow and just thinking about that. And I, that's when I ran into um, some people who were running a day camp at Green Meadow during the summer. And they offered me a job and I said, yes. So I was being, I was a wilderness guide for them for, for a summer. And then within a week, I received a call from the Santa Fe Waldorf School and they were looking for a wilderness guide. Wow. And it's kind of, you know, wilderness guide, you know, like a rafting guide um, in Santa Fe is kind of like skiing guides in like Aspen, Colorado. Yeah, like there's, this yeah. town is full there's of There's a dime a dozen. Guides. Yes. <laughs> and so why was the Santa Fe Waldorf School calling me up in New York to come out and lead a, a rafting a trip uh, for them? was a little bit mysterious, but um, there's actually a backstory to that um, involving Mary Freitas and Barbara Booth and um, Carl Johnson and a whole bunch of people um, who actually knew me. Barbara Booth had interviewed me when I was at St. John's when they were opening up the high school. Oh, wow. So they, yeah. So, and I actually, with Mary Freitas, she also, we were teammates together on the search and rescue team. So they knew of, they knew about me. Yeah. And and they, you know, so they called me and I flew out to Santa Fe. I came back and it felt like another coming home kind of experience. And I led the rafting trip with Carl. I mean, I helped lead the rafting trip with Carl Johnson. And, um, 
And yeah. And then, you know, they said, oh, well, we have this part-time math science position available if you're interested. And I applied and started teaching and started my teacher training right away. And, um, and so that's how I came back to Santa Fe and came back to Waldorf education was a, a moment of kind of me giving up my illusion of illusion control. Of control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <yeah. laughs> exactly. And then, and then letting my future, you know, come towards me. That's, you know, pretty soon after I met my future wife, you know, yeah, and all yeah, this yeah. All stuff kind of started from there. So, so when you came back to a Waldorf school as an adult, what was the, was there a moment of comparison, yes. right? Of, of, kind of the the unlearning of wait but I thought this was how it was supposed to be just because this is what I received right what was that process like for you was there any unlearning was there you know how uh, yeah 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 (laughs) well you know so I was 26 when I stepped into the classroom wow I was quite young I was quite worried about being taken seriously yeah um but at heart was this understanding that at its core, we're talking about true human care. Mm-hmm. And if I could provide true human care, that would go a long way to helping me as I stumbled through what it means to be a teacher and, and learning yeah. the craft and learning some of the deeper things. So in that sense, I felt like there was, from my days of a, of a student, to my days of a teacher, there was still this holding that happened. I was given that gift of being held. And then I very consciously tried to do that same kind of holding. And that meant like listening and, you know, coming, coming towards conversations or difficult classroom moments with compassion and listening rather than me being like, okay, I'm the teacher and you need to listen to Mm -hmm. me, but like trying to really you know, be present and listen into the situation. Um, It was, for me, it was a challenge to be on the other side, to realize how much my teachers saw of me. That was the biggest (laughs) thing. Because I would look at my students and, you know, they would be fiddling under the table and thinking that, they were getting, you know, they weren't seen. Oh gosh. You know, and I was just like, I see you. Yeah. I see everything you're doing. And it made me realize like, oh, my teachers really saw me. Slightly horrifying. It is slightly horrifying, (laughs) right? It's like, wow, I thought I was getting away with so much. And really my teacher was like consciously letting some of that stuff slide. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the most, that was like the the biggest shock was just Mm -hmm. how much the teachers see and how much the students think that they're being, you know, covert or, yeah. But, uh, you know, kind of pedagogically and lesson wise, there was another, another interesting bit that I learned was, you know, the reasons behind the lessons. Yeah. That really, that really had me really question everything I learned and why I learned it the way I did. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to unpack in that, but I, I, 
you know, I found that my teacher training, half of it, I understood and yet I didn't understand. It was like, <laughs> I understood what we were being, what was being said. And then it took me a couple years to realize, oh, my training wasn't about, here's the lesson. Yeah. This is what you do. Mm-hmm. You go to this page, to this page. And, you know, my, it was so much more about the disposition or the character of the teacher. Yeah. Because it was in your striving and your way of living and your the resolutions that you hold and the, the striving that you, you know, you say something like, okay, I'm really going to try to be more conscious of my speech or whatever it is. Yeah. And then, and that really translates into the way the students see you. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, you know, I, it became more, at first I thought, oh, teaching is all about delivering content. And yes. the more I grew as a teacher, it was like the less content I was giving, but I was giving something else. And that was kind of like, I guess I would characterize, characterize it as being a living example of a moral person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's really hard because, you know, we all get into the weeds and, and you know, you there's no easy fix for that. But it's like how you deal with the challenges is really important with how you, how the students then take your lessons. And I, I would hope that some of my students learned some math along the way. But <laughs> it's not I what would they say remember. they did. They, they, they mostly remember my, my trips and yeah. the wilderness stuff that I did. And so you, you know, as a part of, you did the WISTEP, the Center mm-hmm. for Anthroposophy's high school teacher certificate yes. training. And um, so as a part of that training, you are both kind of diving into some of the core anthroposophical texts that primarily then translate to how we as human, as spiritual human beings meet these young spiritual human beings in the classroom. Right. What was your initial impression of anthroposophy as coming into it as a teacher who then also kind of like you're saying of, oh, whoa, this is what I was getting. Right. Right. This is how the adults in my life were viewing me. What was your, what was your initial relationship with anthroposophy? So I would characterize my relationship with anthroposophy as kind of as being, um, it it seemed like I grew up with it. Like I, I, it was what my mother, uh, how should I say this? It didn't seem foreign. It yes. was like I grew up It was distantly it. familiar. It was distantly familiar, yes. And so I, I, it felt through my training like, oh, that is why yeah. that happened. Oh, that's what my teachers were trying to mm-hmm. do. You know, it was like, it was familiar but I'd never seen it before. It was almost like understanding computer code, right? right. And going to a familiar website and instead viewing it in code form versus like the bright and shiny product. Right. And so, you know, the terms I had always heard, you know, the the rhythms and the, the terms and, you know, how the human being is viewed, I, it, it felt like the, I had always seen it dimly or in the distance, and then it was very present. And I guess um, I guess I would want to say that my I felt 
like the language was familiar and it became, well, how do I say this? I experienced my parents, well, my mom really struggling to, to be able to access the lectures. Yeah. My father didn't want anything to do with it. Um, and for me, it was as if I kind of had taken it in without actually reading it. Mm-hmm. And so that when I went through the teacher training, I, yeah, it was this awakening into something familiar is yeah. how I'd characterize it. And then in my teaching, it's, it's always refreshing to go back and, and, and to read Steiner and to understand what he's really saying and then look at that through experience, right? And say, oh, I do notice that there's a change between eighth grade and ninth grade. Yeah, yeah. You know, or, or and, and to see some of these things. And what I really like about actually reading Anthroposophy is oftentimes, you know, I didn't really read it that well the first time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like surprised. <laughs> like, I didn't I read this? Like, wait, what's, what's this part? Like, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. So um, that was also part of my St. John's experience too with the great books. But particularly with Steiner lectures, there's always something new in there and you think you've read it, you know, before. And then it's like, wait, oh, this is what this part means. Or I never really remembered that this part was in there. (laughs) 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 So just kind of maybe as one final piece, I wonder if you would talk a little bit about, well, going back as a part of the teacher training program, you are asked to do research, right? Mm -hmm. Some research that's relating typically to the curriculum, pedagogical impulses, a lot of times in the high school, because we're specialized and in particular subjects, it'll be maybe a deep dive into a block or a program. Um, So I'm wondering if you could talk about your research, which then became probably one of the kind of most celebrated and most flushed out programs at the Santa Fe Waldorf School, which was the wilderness program. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was very, I was very ambitious and Douglas Gerwin, I think shook, (laughs) he knew a little bit that I was probably biting off more than I can chew, but I initially wanted to do two research projects. Of course you did. And I, so I wanted to research projective geometry for my mathematics, um, specialty. And then I wanted to do something in science and it ended up being a 10 year process. And, um, and I ended up focusing on the wilderness program of the high school. And, and I'd love to talk about projective geometry one time, but we'll get there in talking about the wilderness program. I took, I took over the reins of the program from Carl Johnson, who initially set up the program. And I really spent um, a lot of time thinking into what wilderness education is for each grade and, um, and what the gesture is uh, of, of for each grade. And so in the high school, in the ninth grade, the spirit of integrating the ninth grade with the seniors um, into a special trip, into a wilderness retreat was was the crown jewel for, um, for our students in, at the Santa Fe Waldorf High School. And um, that often was considered like a glamping trip, not a camping trip, because it was super fancy in a, in a casita in northern New Mexico at the Vallecitos Mountain Retreat Center. And the ninth grade would be led in, by the senior class in different 
um, hiking activities and group games and cooking together and cleaning together and um, doing community service together. And so it was really a chance to have this the ninth grade be welcomed in to kind of change the dynamics of any kind of hazing or yeah, upperclassmen, yeah. lowerclassmen dynamics. And and then there was a chance for the seniors not only to lead the 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 ninth graders, but also to share their four years of experience. And mm-hmm. so we, Carl and I, Carl and then I had developed the program so that, you know, for many years, over a decade, there was the, the, the ninth graders would then go through and be seniors and then go back to Vallecitos. And so, and so it was almost like this moment of, oh my gosh, it's been four years yeah. since the last time we were here. And the, it was a chance to have really deep conversations about what happened in, in high school and what worked and what didn't work and what were hopes and fears. And all the students participated in it. All the teachers would participate, participate in it as class sponsors. And then the ninth grade would depart halfway through. On like They would stay from Sunday to Wednesday. And then the seniors would go out as the crowning achievement of the wilderness program, they would go out on a wilderness solo, 24-hour wilderness solo, and and really take up questions coming out of the transcendentalist block um, about who they are and who they are becoming and where did they come from and what could they leave behind and really feeding into their college essay writing um, process. And a lot of college essays tended to be sometimes about wilderness experiences that they've had. So it sounds like you know, beyond just kind of articulating the structure of, okay, in this grade, we're going to do this, that there was a lot of thought behind what was developmentally kind of aligned with each age group, and then also viewing it as a four-year journey, right? right? That these things would gradually build on one another, then leading to this crowning jewel, like you're talking about with the 12th grade solo. Yeah. So just for that piece, it was, I started with the ninth and 12th grade because they were so different, right? The ninth graders had no experience in in the wilderness, perhaps, but the seniors had gone through this whole um, spectrum of activity. So, and and really the spectrum of activity was from being um, held collectively to to holding oneself individually. Mm-hmm. That was the gesture from from the collective to the individual. And so, you went as a ninth grader from you know this experience of the wilderness with like an, a casita with a roof on it and, and a and a hundred year old lodge, right? To the the tenth grade trips tended to be outside and rafting trips. So you still had that level of holding, right? With a raft where you could carry coolers worth of food and stuff like that, but you would be sleeping out in tarps Mm -hmm. and you'd be sleeping. So you'd be learning to be on, you know, sleeping outside and being away uh, from the roads. And then in 11th grade, the focus of the trips became a backpacking trip. So Mm -hmm. now instead of the gear being carried for you, you were being self-reliant and carrying your own equipment into the canyon lands is where we typically would go. And um, so that would be a a week of backpacking. And we would go into Dark Canyon and it was, for the 11th graders, it was this real age-appropriate challenge because they would take their packs and they would walk down into the canyons and then when they'd walk back out, they were basically seniors at that point. Yeah, yeah, it's right at the end of the school year. Yeah, and they'd often 
connect the astronomy block with with the backpacking mm. trip in that 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 area of Utah, southeastern Utah, is is one of the premier uh, night sky, dark dark night sky areas of the United States. So they could really see the stars most of the time uh, on that trip. And then, of course, going from junior year to senior year was then the the wilderness solo. And we would do a mini solo in eleventh grade to prepare them for the senior year. Um, but yeah, that was that's the kind of the nuts and bolts of the wilderness program and and my thesis about it. Amazing. And so my last question for you is when someone asks you now, what is Waldorf education? What do you say? And keep it brief. <laughs> Ooh, that's the real <laughs> challenge. Okay, uh, what is Waldorf education? Uh, for me, it's a Waldorf education um, about, it's, it's, a, it's an education that is about training the human being in ways that is... Um, Appropriate. I mean, I don't know what the, it's hard to articulate this, but it's like, it's an education that helps you become yourself in a, in a way that I would say is probably less stressful hmm. than a, than a typical education might be. It's an education that is designed to to really meet each individual where they're at and to help them become better version of themselves. Nice. Through imagination, through all this other stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an artistic education in the sense that there's been a lot of thought put into it and a lot of people striving to make the education, um, potent in a way that is appropriate. Um, wow. It's so hard to say it. No, you're doing great. You know, it's, I put you on the spot. Yeah, you did, but it's okay. <laughs> I like it. Um, you know, it's. You know, I. I think I naturally want to sing all of the praises of Waldorf education, and I, and there's a there's a little, kind of like a cricket in the back of my mind saying like, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of very positive, um, aspects of Waldorf education, and at the same time, I know of classmates you know who left and and didn't feel it it was right for them so i don't also want to say like it was the best thing ever and there's (laughs) nothing better or there's no way it can be improved yeah Um, but i honestly think that it saved me in in my life it saved it helped stabilize a a situation for me that you know was just very heart-wrenching and um it it provided a, a, a place for me and my sister for us to to fully realize ourselves, and and I think that's the probably the best you can expect of a, a, an education of you know elementary and, and middle and high school years. I yeah. nice. Would you like to be a sponsor on Hard Beeswax? Email us at hardbeeswax at gmail.com. That concludes another episode of Hard Beeswax. Thanks for listening. For episodes and more, please visit our website, hardbeeswax.transistor.fm.